Hey there and welcome to Soul Church. Our prayer is that this message encourages you wherever you may be in life. You know, we've been hearing so many stories about what God is doing in people's lives and we'd love to hear yours. So take a second and send your story to stories at soulchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us today and we hope that you enjoy the message. God bless. Father, we thank you as we come around your word now. You'd anoint Steve, Father. We thank you that no weapon formed against this service will prosper, that your word would go out, Father God, and minister to the hearts and the minds of our church, those online and those in the room, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Come on, who's glad that they came to church today? What a great day. Who'd rather be in church than the dentist? Who's tried to get in the dentist and you couldn't? No, don't do that. Don't answer that. I just think we have a huge privilege. What an honor to be a part of a church like this, where you can hardly get a seat, where one offering empowers us to reach people in the Philippines and build churches, reach kids in slums in India. And then we sell our tickets thousands in 70 minutes People prayed for this, believed for this. Come on, why don't we give God some thanks and some honor? We get to be a part of this. So it's so good to have you with us. Do you like the new setup for the wonder? It's cool, isn't it? It's really good. And uh, I'd also like to extend a big warm welcome to people who are tuning in this morning from Peterhead. All right, great friends, Pastor Neil Cameron and uh, Pastor Daniel Sutherland and all the church up there at Apex. We love you guys too. I love going to different churches. Rachel and I get the privilege of traveling to different churches up and down the country, but I'd love to tell you about one particular church. Of all the churches I've ever visited, this is probably the most interesting. Would you like to hear about it? And that's because it was a duck church. A duck church, that's right. Come on, make a quacking sound. Thanks, Joseph. It was a duck church, so you've got to use a little imagination. So all the ducks rock up to church. And at the entrance to the church, the duck, duck pastor, you know, shakes their wing. They get ushered into their seats by the duck host team. And then they sit in their duck pews and they sing duck hymns. It's incredible. It's a really powerful service. Then the pastor gets up. What I didn't tell you is that this was a black Pentecostal church, duck church. The pastor's name was T.D. Drakes. Do you like that? And he is an unbelievable communicator. Someone said that was a quacking joke. I like that. And he's preaching the word. And he he is like powerful communicator. Everyone is hanging on his every word. And he comes to the crescendo of his sermon. And he looks out and he says, brothers and sisters, we are ducks in Christ. We are ducks in Christ and you know what that means. Everyone is waiting to hear what he says. He says, that means we can fly. We can fly, we can fly, we can fly. And everyone goes nuts. First it's the front row. 
as a few wings start flapping and one or two of them start to rise up and it's like a duck Mexican wave. Halfway back, they start to get it. We're ducks and we can fly. And before long, the whole church is flying around the auditorium because they're ducks and they can fly. Then at the end of the service, Mrs. Drake's, joins her husband and they pray a duck benediction over the church. And then all of the ducks walk home. I wonder how many times we get told in church, we can fly and then we walk home. Love thy neighbor. Love your neighbor. Who lives on the right? Who lives on the left? Do you know their name? Do you know much about their family? Do you love them? Jesus was asked a brilliant question by one of the scribes. Pastor John mentioned it. And by the way, wasn't that message outstanding last week? Everybody is waiting to discover they are a somebody. And he mentioned this scripture. It's taken from Mark chapter 12. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard him debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. This guy's a theologian. He's one of the thinkers of the day. And he says to Jesus, of all of the commandments, which is the most important. This attempt to sum up the whole of the law went on for hundreds of years. This wasn't the only time. Rabbis were often asked, would you sum up the law in one word? Now, if you were listening last week, you would remember that how many commandments were there in the law? That's right, 613. There were 365, one for every day of the year, telling you what you couldn't do you little tinkers. And then there were 248 telling you what you could do. And the question is, Jesus, if you'd have sum all of those up into one sentence, what would it be? Here's what some of the other rabbis said. Rabbi Hillel said this. He reversed the golden rule. He said this, what you would not want done to you, do not do to your neighbor. I think that's a pretty smart answer. Rabbi Simlai, he quoted Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous will live by faith. That's how you sum it up. But one more rabbi, Rabbi Akiba said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So many of the rabbis had been asked this question. And when Jesus was asked, his response was in verse 29, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Remember they asked him for what was the one thing. But Jesus gives them two. Why? Because you can't reduce it down to one. There's another dimension that is incredibly important, so important you can't miss it. What was that second dimension in verse 31? He said, the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than this. 
This is groundbreaking. This is revolutionary. No other person in history, as far as we know, had reduced the whole of the law to these two things. Let's keep it simple. Love God and love people. What's the common denominator? It's love. It's a a word in Greek. The Greeks had many different words for love, but it's this word, agape. Here's how it works. Mark's gospel. If you're new to church, you're thinking, what's a gospel? The gospel is a proclamation of the good news. So Mark is proclaiming this good news. The good news is what? God loves you. It's all through the gospel. God loves you. He's always loved you. He will always love you. He, he isn't mad at you. He's mad about you. That's what the gospel is. That God has come to save you. He sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for you because you matter to him. That's the first thing. He loves you. It starts with God, not with you. The second thing is you've got to love God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. You can't do that until you receive his love. It starts with what he has done. You receive his unconditional agape love. You love him in return. And then out from that fountain flows love for your neighbor. The same love that you got from God, you dish out to your neighbor. And that's how we change the world. That's how we change the world. It doesn't start with you. It starts with God. Your love for God releases the love of God. You are just a dispenser of God's love on planet earth. That's why you do it. But how do you do it? About eight years ago, Rachel and I, we were in Brisbane and we'd been there for a number of years and this girl in our church by the name of Jacinta. Some of you have heard this story, some of you knew won't have. It's a really powerful story which illustrates what we're talking about. And Jacinta was actually an Irish girl, a very godly girl. She had an incredible encounter with God and she worked in a red light district of Brisbane and she was a cleaner. So she would clean the bathrooms of Brisbane's brothels. She didn't have a lot of money, single mom, she's a great mom to her son. And one of the girls, one of the prostitutes that used to go into the bathrooms had an amazing, tragic story. She grew up in America. She was a pastor's daughter. Imagine that. Pastor's daughter in the USA, 18 years of old. She gets a gap year. She decides to go to London. So she goes to London for a gap year. She ends up making some poor choices, ends up in the party scene, ends up taking drugs, ends up as a prostitute. Her dad never knew any of this. She needs to get away from the pain of London, so she goes all the way to the other side of the world, to Fortitude Valley, and ends up in a brothel in Brisbane. And Jacinta meets this girl. And Jacinta loves God. She's passionate for Jesus. She doesn't have much, so she takes what she does have, and she uses it to reach this girl. Each year, our church would do a conference. It was a women's conference that was all about placing value on womanhood. And once a year, you'd get a, you'd get a brochure through the post. And it was full of different women telling their stories of how their life had been changed at this conference. And when Jacinta received this, here's what she did. She cut out the stories once a week. She went to the toilet rolled toilet roll holder in the 
bathroom in a Brisbane brothel and she sellotaped it right next to the toilet roll. And this girl is a prostitute, young girl. She plies her trade. She goes into the bathroom to clean up and she sees this story. The first week, she just rips it up, throws it away. The second week, she sees it again. She starts to get mad. The third week, she knows who's doing this, Jacinta. She goes up to her. She said, do you seriously think God can help a person like me? And Jacinta looks her in the eye. Says, God loves you so much. He can change your life. Why don't you come to our church? This girl comes to church. Just happens that that first week I happened to be preaching. And when she saw me, she, she described me as being like the men who used to preach back at her dad's church back in the day. And she, she described me as the clean preacher. Not that I am. But that's how she described me. And she came to Christ at the end of that service, which is amazing. And after that, she had a struggle going on internally. She didn't trust men. She didn't trust the church yet. And she was having this battle, but she decided not to be a prostitute anymore. She'd made that decision. But one of her clients kept texting her, wouldn't give up. I want to see you. I need to see you. I'm going to pay you more. And so she decided in the heat of the moment to go and see this client. She got on a bus. She's heading towards this meeting. And she said that literally onto the bus, the next stop, I came on, walked down the aisle and sat next to her. And she felt so convicted that the clean preacher was there that at the next stop, she got off the bus, said, I'm not going to see that client anymore. She came back to church that weekend, still unsure about her future. And out in the atrium, after the service, there's one of our pastors, one of my close friends by the name of Tim Andrew. And in Brisbane, we used to have a pizza oven after the service, and you could buy a pizza for $8 or something. And he bought this pizza for about $8. He'd eaten a couple of pieces of pizza, and then here's what he did. He walked around the atrium offering free slices of pizza. And something about that simple act of generosity impacted this girl. It took her back to when she grew up in the church in America. And she said, in that time of my life, men didn't take from me. They gave to me, and they loved me for who I was. And in that moment, the simple act of giving her a piece of pizza did something in her heart. And she said, that's it. I'm done with my life. I'm done with this life in Brisbane being a prostitute. I need to get back home to where those decent men are. And I need to start my life over again. She got on a plane. She went back. She spoke to her dad. He didn't know for seven years where she was. The dad, the pastor, loved her unconditionally. She got enrolled in college, is in church. And the last we heard, she is doing amazing. What an incredible story that is. Love. From that story, what makes a difference? I've titled this message, Pizzas and Prostitutes. I'm going to give you 
Just a few points on things you can do to love your neighbor. Number one, love is the secret source to winning people to Jesus. Jesus said you love God and you love people. How many know you can tell when somebody loves you? You can see it in their eyes. It's a trite saying, but it's a true saying. People don't care what you know. They want to know that you care. So question, do you love your neighbor? Not like your neighbor. Do you love them? Jesus said the whole of the law can be summed up in this. Love your neighbor. Love is the secret source. People can tell Whether you love them, you say, well, my neighbor's really hard to love. You know what? You can't love your neighbor in this kind of way. You've got to receive God's love. It's his agape love. And only then can you love people like this. You can't do it in your own strength. Unless Jesus is intimately known, he cannot be accurately shown. So point number one, love is a secret source to winning people to Jesus. Number two, little things done with love can make a big difference. Let me say that again. Little things done with love can make a big difference. Who would have thought that a piece of sellotape and a story from a brochure and a bit of pizza would transform the life of a prostitute. Jacinta didn't have much. Maybe you're sitting looking at me and saying, well, if only I was like Pastor John or Chantel and got this great gift and the light of the room and I'm an introvert. No, it's not about what you don't have. Sometimes you've got to start focusing on what you do have and use that. And sometimes it's the simple things in life that make a big difference. You know, we can all use a bit of sellotape. We can all write a card. It's the simple things that make a big difference. My two things have helped me this week. One was Sheila and Neil. I don't even know whether Sheila's in the service, but she gave me this book. It's called The Art of Neighboring. It's a great book. If you feel challenged on this, this would be a really good book to buy, The Art of Neighboring. The other thing is I called my sister. Hi, Jew. If you're watching online, there's nine months between us. We're close. How many mums know that's close? Nine months. I was two months early. You're all doing the math, some of you. Two months early, early, and I was eight pounds. They reckon I'd have been 13. I'm a big boy, all right? So me and my sister are close. We're close, nine months apart, both born in the same year. And my sister has always been unbelievable, and her husband, Tim, they've always been unbelievable at reaching their neighbors. They've got this incredible relationship where they help each other, And I just love the way they do it. So I said to my sister, give me some tips. So I took a couple of tips from this and the things that she said me and and Tim sent me. And I'm going to give you 10 practical things you can do to love your neighbor. 10 things we can all do. Number one, get to know their, their names. Do you know the names of your neighbor? Don't put your hand up. Do you know much about their family? Number two, always smile and pay them a compliment. Now, that's achievable, isn't it? I'm going to tell you in a minute about how I stuffed all of this up in a, minute, in a moment, all right? So don't think I'm perfect. This is why I needed my sister's help, all right? Number three, mow their lawn. She always used to mow their lawn. Number four, drop off cakes or biscuits to their door. Number five, cook a meal when you know they're struggling. They always cook meals for each other, their neighbors. 
Number six, send them a card to show you value them. Number six, walk their dog. If they don't have a dog, walk their cat. If they don't have a cat, walk the mother-in-law. Just, just walk something. Number eight, write a personalized, encouraging note. Number nine, invite them over for coffee. Number 10, give them a gift at Christmas and Easter. A little cheeky one, number 11, buy them a pizza. You're thinking, Steve, I've done all of these, or some of these, but you don't know my neighbor. They're hard work, they're not interested. And we haven't always found it. We didn't get off to the best start when I moved back from Australia. We moved into the, the neighborhood. And they, you know, I consider myself fairly friendly, and I've got a secret weapon. If people don't like me, they normally like my wife because she's super friendly. And so, you know, but they didn't seem to really like me or my wife. So there was a problem. And I found out why. I found out why a few weeks later. Now, my wife, who is a really good driver, I just need to say that publicly, she is a fantastic driver. Can we all give it up for my wife's driving just so nobody accuses me? But if I was to use a word that describes her reversing, I'd have to be very careful. Let's just say the word erratic, all right? Is that, is that fair? And because it was a new drive and she, she wasn't fully, it was dark, she, she reversed across his lawn, which wasn't cool. And um, so I was, you know, I couldn't understand why we weren't getting on very well with our neighbor. And then he called me over and he showed me the tire track and so I'm trying to be a good man and say, look, I'm so sorry I did that. He said, it wasn't you, it was your wife. I watched her. So, so and I just didn't like the tone that he talked to. If you want to get me upset, talk about my, you know, he didn't talk about it. He just said it was her. And, and I just got a little bit reactive. All right. If you want to upset me, talk about my girls because I'll, I'll, I'll try and protect them. And so as a result of that, things were frosty with my neighbor for probably about a year, I'd smile, I'd wave, I'd even take things, I invited them to the wonder, and I didn't get very far. And then Mark Hollinger moved into the neighborhood, <laughs> who is every mother's dream. Let's give it up for Mark Hollinger. And uh, he literally moved four, three doors down from me. So between my neighbor and his, there's only one neighbor. So he was close. And, and he gets on really well with my neighbor. And we're talking about it one day. And he says, how do you get on with your neighbor? I said, well, it's not that great, actually. He said, oh, he's a really nice guy. And I'm thinking, it's easy for you, mate. And then, and Mark, you know, we laugh about him, but he's actually a really wise guy. And he actually said, well, you know that drive on the way up? Because there's a drive on where we live. And there's a bit of lawn either side. And it's kind of public land. And I'd noticed Mark had cut it once and a couple of the neighbors had, but I never had. And he said to me, well, maybe you could start by cutting that drive. You know, there's a part of us, isn't there, that thinks, well, I'm too busy and Saturdays I'm, I've got there, I'm preparing sermons. It's an absolute excuse. Who do I think I am too busy to help with? If all the other neighbors can do it. And Jesus said the most important thing you can do is love your neighbor. He didn't say preach to your neighbor. He didn't say fly across the world and preach great sermons. He said the most important thing you can do, Steve, is love the guy who loves his lawn next to you. <laughs> and if Mark Holly can do it, 
so can I. So I did. I just made a decision internally. I'm going to cut that for the next six months. Now, now this could have been Mark Hollinger deciding, I know how to get out of cutting the lawn. I'll get Mawson to do it. It's the kind of thing that he does. But actually, I think it was actually a real piece of wisdom. And you know what? Once I started cutting, and I've been doing it for about six months, when I started seeing him, and we start chatting now. We've actually had a few laughs together. He keeps his house immaculate. He's given me tips on malls. He's actually a really nice guy. I'm not talking about Mark Holly. He gave me tips on malls, but I can't talk about that publicly. But, uh, but that relationship, that relationship with my neighbors literally been transformed. Just because I actually had to recognize my arrogance and my judgmentalism <laughs> towards him. Jesus said, love your neighbor. We're having a few fireworks tonight with a few friends and I bumped into him last night and I invited him over and for the first time he said yes to coming over to hang with us. What about your neighbor? Which of those 10 things could you do this week, you say, well, I don't have a neighbor. Well, what about the person that works next to you? What about that family member that's been distanced from you? Jesus challenges to love those people that are closest to us. Jesus, it was really interesting when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. He's actually quoting Deuteronomy 6 in the Old Testament. But if you go back to Deuteronomy 6, you'll find this. It only says loving with your heart, your soul, and your strength. It doesn't say mind. Jesus enlarged it in the New Testament, and he added the word mind. And I think love has to be intentional. Love has to be intelligent. Love has to be thought through. And what Mark did that I failed to do was he figured out my neighbor's love language. How good would it be if all of us started to study our, our neighbors to see what is their lo love language? How can we show love to them in ways that they would appreciate? Third thing, really quickly. Even when you aren't seeing a harvest, don't stop planting seed. They say an Englishman's home is his castle. Castles have moats to keep people out, but kingdoms have bridges to let people in. Do you have a moat or a bridge to your neighbors? Especially when it's difficult. Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And just because there's hostility with some of the people in your world that you're trying to reach, I'd encourage you, keep planting. Keep planting in Peterhead. Keep planting, those of you watching online. Keep planting seeds of kindness, even when it's met with hostility or opposition. Just keep loving people. Jesus faced opposition, but he kept loving people, no matter what they did to him, no matter harsh, how harsh they were. I've always loved that word agape, and it's because when I turned 40, I read this book. I actually felt I needed to read 40 books on the subject of love. And all of the ones that I read, it was this book by Leon Morris, an Australian theologian, and he transformed my view of love and especially agape. Agape is different to any of the other Greek words. 
Because agape love, it thrives in the soil of opposition and hostility. When we were hostile to God, when we were in opposition to God, he kept loving us. He kept being gracious and kind to us. Our opposition and our sin towards him never dampened his love. In fact, here's what it did. It magnified it. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not the love of the imperfect, of the perfect. It's not a conditional love. God God's agape loves in spite of opposition. It's different to Eros. Eros is aroused by something beautiful and it responds. But agape doesn't need that stimulus because it's rooted in God. It comes from Him and it keeps giving. It's not about you, it's about the other person. And God is saying, I want you to love your neighbor, not with an Eros love, but with an agape love. Just keep loving them, keep believing in them. 1 Peter 4 verse 8 says this, above all. This is Peter writing the guy that knew Jesus more than anyone. Above all, he says, have fervent and unfailing love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. It overlooks unkindness and unselfishly seeks the best for others. Are you unselfishly looking at the best for your neighbor? And so as the team come up, my last point is this. When it comes to loving your neighbor, it's what God does, not what you do, that ultimately saves people. Paul said, I planted, Paulus watered. But who gives the increase? God. You know, you can't save people. That's God's job. He didn't say to save thy neighbor. He said, love thy neighbor. Just keep loving them. That's your job. You know what I find amazing is when you just love people, it's amazing what God can do through you, despite your imperfections. Remember that story about the prostitute? She gets on a bus and she says the clean preacher came and sat with her. It wasn't me. But I've discovered this. It's amazing how God will use you despite you. It's amazing what God can do that's over and above and beyond anything that you can do. It's not you who has to give the increase. It's God. If you do your part, God will do his part. Just keep loving your neighbor. It's not about you. So if you've never led anyone to the Lord, don't beat yourself up. Don't feel condemned. That's not what this series is about. It's about challenging you to keep loving people. Keep being there, keep loving your neighbor. So the team are here with us. I, I, I'm good. I would love to pray for two groups of people. Two groups of people. Maybe we should all just stand. Is that okay? I'm gonna ask that nobody leaves at this moment. Just give us a moment. I've talked about God's amazing love. Maybe, friend, you're here and you walked into church this morning. You, you had no idea God was like this. You thought He was angry and mad at you and judgmental. 
here's the good news. God's always loved you. God loves you right now. God will love you forever. In fact, there is nothing that you can do to stop him from loving you. He loves you at home. He loves you listening on the treadmill. He loves you wherever you are. And he wants to have a relationship with you. Jesus said the most important thing is that you love God. Enter into a relationship. You say, Steve, how do I do that? Do I need to be baptized? Do I need to take communion? No, no, no. If you want to become a Christian, if you want to get right with God, you open your heart and you invite Him to come in and you start a relationship. Say, Jesus, I need you. And in our church every week, we pray this prayer and it would be my greatest honor to pray it with you in this room, you watching in, at home, wherever you are. Do you have a part of the world you're in? I'm going to ask the people in this room just to bow your heads. And if it's safe for you watching online, just you two bow your head and close your eyes. This is between you and God. He loves you, my friend. He wants to have a relationship. If you say, Steve, I want to get right with God, here's what we're going to do in the room. When I count to three, I'm going to ask anyone that wants to get right with God just to slip up your hand when I count to three. Maybe you once walked with God, but if you're honest, you've drifted away. You're far away from Him at this moment, but He still loves you, friend. And this can be your morning to come back to Him. So if that's you, if you know you need to come home, then you raise your hand too. So are you ready all across this room? You guys watching online, give us a thumbs up in the chat if that's you. Are you ready? If you want to get right with God, when I count to three, you raise your hand. Then we're going to pray all of us together. You ready? One, two, three. That's it. Just slip it up. Thank you, my friend. I love Thank you, Ove. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you over there. Thank you over here. I love that. Thank you back there. Beautiful. Come on. This is a holy moment. Believe in this people online as well. Pray this with us. Repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me to forgive all my sin and failures so that I can have a brand new start. Please come into my life and help me by the power of the Holy Spirit to trust and live for you Amen. Now let me just pray for everyone that responded. Jesus, the people in this section, this section, this section, those online right now, I want to thank you that you've come into their life and you are transforming them from the inside out. So help them to take the next step and the next step and to continue to love you and serve you all the days of their life. In Jesus' name just a moment, one of our pastors is going to come up and they're going to give you some instruction, give you a Bible, tell you about that. But before they come, Jesus said the most important thing for all of us is to love him, to love our neighbors. So I want you to take away from this message just one thing. I call this the so what moment. So what are you going to do 
about what I said. What's the one thing? I know I'm going to keep mowing the lawn of my neighbor. I'm going to keep inviting him till one day he comes. Wonder what your one thing is. Can you imagine if we all had such great relationships with our neighbors like my sister, sister does? How great would that be if we were known as a church? Man, we love our neighbors. Who thinks that would be a good thing? So what's your one thing? We pray for you. Father, thank you in this Holy Spirit moment that you are going to inspire and drop ideas to the hearts of your people. May we, may we love you with our minds and be intentional in understanding the love languages of those closest to us. May we love them with that agape love. It's unconditional. It's free. It doesn't merit anything. It comes from you. Lord, I pray we would love people like you do. So inspire your church. And I thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. What a fantastic word. I love a practical message. Who loves a practical message? And the challenge is now, we've we've heard it. Now we've got to go and do something about it. And, you know, if we all just do one little thing with our neighbors, whether it's literally the person next door or maybe it's the person on another street or in another neighborhood, I think Norwich can be a better place this week if we all just spread love and kindness. And, um, you know, that, that's not a suggestive message today. That's a, a message that we have to take action with, take with personal responsibility. And um, we're all here today because someone showed kindness to us. We're all here today because someone helped us on our journey towards Jesus with an act of love. And so let's pay that forward this week. And um, yeah, come on, one more time. Thanks, Steve. Great, fantastic work. Thank you online for some comments in the chat. And if you said that prayer, we call that the salvation prayer. And if you said that prayer, and you really meant it from your heart, our team are going to be out in the atrium after uh, in the room. Um, those online, you can download the Bible app. But those in the room, you can, you know, just receive this gift from us. It's a Bible. And we'd love to stay connected. And uh, we also encourage you, if you made that decision, we, we screw a little light bulb in the wall. It's called the light bulb moment. And it really just represents where you crossed over from darkness into a new light, into the light of Jesus. And so you, you're welcome to join us, screw the light bulb in. And as a church family, we'll cheer you on in that moment. It's a really exciting moment. Thanks again for tuning in. And if you said the salvation prayer today, we'd love for you to email connecttofaith at soulchurch.com so we can talk to you a little bit more about this incredible decision that you've just made. Yeah, you know, and if at any point in the service you felt moved to give towards any of our local or global initiatives, then head to soulchurch.com and click on the giving at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us today. And we hope to see you again soon. God bless.